This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. House of Cards brought to you by Delilah's, voted America's number one gentleman's club. Check them out at delilah's.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over king. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hello, listeners. Welcome to House of Cards. This is Ashley Adams, and we have an amazing show tonight. You know, sometimes we have guests that people haven't heard of who are interesting. Uh, Sometimes we have guests that uh, maybe you've heard of who are interesting. Tonight, we have two guests that are absolutely as top-flight celebrity status guests as there can be, and they are also fascinating, interesting interviews. First, we have Barry Greenstein. Uh, author of Ace on the River and well-known as an extraordinary cash game player, tournament player, and uh, my rabbi would call him a mensch in the poker world, a guy that does good things, also has a great sense of humor. And then we have somebody who has an effect named after him. That's right. We have Chris Moneymaker, who changed the face and the world of poker forever in 2003 when he won the main event after winning an entry at a seat uh, from Poker Stars online. It absolutely has changed the game. He's going to talk about the revolution that followed him and talk about his own play, his own experiences, and his own observations about the world of poker that he has experienced. And, of course, we'll then have a segment of Mailbag. So please stay tuned. I'm sure you'll be pleased. Great moments in history. In 481 BC, the defeat of the Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. As long as Xerxes doesn't find the secret path to the hot gates, where is it, boy? Xerxes has found the secret door path to the hot gates. Ah, shit! In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. My husband, he's the greatest. Like when I told him that I wanted us to reaffirm our vows for our first anniversary. He went and threw me a big church wedding. Ever since then, every single anniversary, we've gotten married again. Chapel weddings, scuba weddings, Elvis weddings. Sometimes I don't know why he does it. Bachelor party's so good, he'll want to get married over and over again. Delilah's. Oh, we do the whole thing with the bridesmaids and the reception. He even gets his little boy's night out. Delilah's Bachelor Parties. Phenomenal food, scintillating cigars, and the world's most beautiful showgirls. Last time, he came back saying he could see my inner beauty and that I shouldn't just walk through life. I should dance. See? 
He's the greatest. Delilah's Bachelor Parties. Get all the details right now at Delilah's.com and give him the party he'll remember for the rest of his marriage. Delilah's, the biggest, the bravest, the best. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to let you know about a newspaper in the New England area. If you're looking for poker tournaments or the latest promotions at Foxwoods, Mohegan Sun, Twin River, or if you want to find out what's happening in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, or other casinos around the country, then I recommend you check out New England Gaming News for all the latest news, events, and hot casino action from around the region. You can do that in one of two ways. You can either pick up their free copies at gambling venues throughout New England, or you can visit them at www.thenegn.com and sign up for exclusive specials and promotions. That's www.thenegn.com. The New England Gaming News, New England's only resource for complete casino and poker news. Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning 7-Card Stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning 7-Card Stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing, you'll learn to master them all. Winning 7-Card Stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. Whoa! I think we got a show. Oh, yeah, we got a show. We definitely got a show. Oh, yeah, there's a show. Hey, it's all about ratings, baby, and we got them. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome to House of Cards. This is Ashley Adams. And as promised, we are very fortunate to have with us one of the greats of the poker world today, a man that my rabbi just described to me as that mensch from the poker world. We're here with Barry Greenstein. Barry, are you there? Uh, I am, Ashley. Hi. Hi. I I have to ask you right off the bat. um, Your general persona is of a very even-keeled, altruistic guy who gives a lot of his money to charity is that a fair depiction of you do you think is that accurate uh no i'm a total jerk and no one really <laughs> likes me in real life and uh, i've just done a really good sales job you see some of these poker players uh you know on television i don't know why when they're on television they decide to let their worst behavior out but you do see it actually i do know why we've got a bunch of guys who are part of the buffoon corps who think that poker is professional wrestling so they go into character when they're on TV. And the fact is, a lot of people who don't appreciate poker talent like to see them. We see a lot of these guys at the featured table on ESPN. So I think it's an option for poker players uh, a lot of times once they get in the limelight. Whether you want to be a professional poker player and people see you make skillful plays, or whether you want to be a professional wrestler and have people see you uh, uh, you know, yell at other people, call them idiots, uh, claim that you're a great player and everything that happens bad to you is because you're the unluckiest player on the planet. 
uh, you know, those are the two different ways to go. So I've chosen to not show my true colors, like I said. You know, I don't think people like me at all. <laughs> and, and to uh, just be kind of subdued and try to let my game uh, do the talking. That's very good. I, I Do you ever lose your cool? Um, well, not on TV, obviously. Um, uh, but uh, Do you ever lose you know, it in a cash game? Yeah, well, actually... Um, you know, poker, you know, money is, is emotional to a lot of people. You know, when you play poker, at times you're going to lose some. But uh, I think uh, for myself what happened is I played a lot of sports when I was young. Uh, you know, this is ESPN. I guess most of your listeners are are, are going to be into sports. You know, I went through Little League like, uh, you know, when I grew up many years ago, uh, baseball was the national pastime. So I probably from the time I was five years old, played baseball every single day. You know, we played wiffle ball first, and then we go out to what we call the prairie and play uh, fast pitch, you know, and, uh, you know, regular baseball. And, you know, during the fall we played uh, uh, football and basketball. That's all I did every day is play sports. And uh, I think sports is really good training for poker because you learn that, you know, things don't always go your way. And, and, and really one of the things I learned is uh, I think it was an Old Spice commercial said it, but you don't want to see them. You don't want to let them see you sweat, right? <laughs> you know, and so you know that's just how I grew up was playing sports and being tough. And and if you uh, you know collided head, I mean, I remember in college diving for a football and colliding head first into a car in a parking lot where we were playing. But you know, of course, I was proud that I made the catch, even though I was bleeding all over. You know, it's just that's that that was kind of how I grew up. People look at poker players as sedentary because I think a lot of the new crowd is. We have a lot of the current group of poker players who grew up sitting behind a computer. So it's a very different way to transition into poker. That's true. But uh, like I said, because of the way I did if you look at guys like Doyle Brunson, he was an athlete, he was a basketball player and a runner, uh, uh, and even late Chip Reese, you know, played football uh, until he had a had a, uh, a hamstring injury or something that, that nagged him for a while. And, you know, we all grew up playing sports, and so we learned to control our emotions. Uh, you didn't let other people get to you. You know, there might be trash talking, whatever, but, you know, you were able to control yourself. So um, that's it. You know, and, and I always, you know, when people always ask me when someone's young, and, you know, what's, uh, and they want to get into poker, what should they do? And I still think when you're young, you play sports, and when you're, like, over the hill like I am now and you, and you can't play uh, – Sports as well. Well, poker is a good way to get your competitiveness out, and we see this in a lot of athletes. Uh, they've always, you know, whether it's baseball players especially, are known for playing uh, cards on the on the buses or planes or whatever. And uh, and uh, you know, once they can't compete in their sport, you know, they play poker. It happens all the time. And so I think that, uh, and obviously, sports are healthier for you than playing poker. So I always say, you know, poker is something that we've seen even with a lot of young kids. They get so much into that, you know, we've even had some of them drop out of school, the ones who want to be uh, drop out of uh, college, for instance. Some of the smart kids, we want them to get well-rounded, get educated. And so I think poker can wait till. I mean, you can play it in your teens and, and 20s, but it's, it's right to play it in moderation, be doing these other things so you're a well-rounded person. So you're, you're suggesting that for most people, at least until they're older, poker remain as a hobby, as a secondary thing, and that from Barry Greenstein's perspective, kids are better off being kids and doing physical sports and doing their life but and not taking poker too seriously. Is that what I hear you saying? For sure. My son Joe, 
you know, had a had a life where he was in different businesses. Uh, he was in the dot com boom. He didn't play a hand of poker until he was twenty seven years old. So that's you know how I raised my kids. And I have a younger son, Nathaniel, wants to play poker. Uh, he plays some, and you know I don't see anything wrong with playing poker. It's a good game. I mean, there's a lot of logical thinking ability and a lot of psychology involved. And uh, you know I don't think it's unhealthy to play poker. But you know I played poker on the weekends uh, when I was in high school and in college. And so it wasn't something that dominated my life, but I always kind of knew it was something because you know I, I had a uh, you know I showed some ability there and I did well. Where something where I could make money if I needed to in a pinch, because I seemed to be uh, you know, talented at it. But uh, you know I think one of the one of the other problems, like you know I've had parents call me up all the time and say you know my my son just wants to play poker and he's making money, so it's really hard to stop him. Because once he sees that he can do that, you know, why does he want to do other, you know, other things? And really, what's at the core of the problem is bad parenting. Because, uh, um, you know, I said, well, what did you teach him? She says, well, he, he could have been successful being an investment banker like his uncle and could have made a lot of money that way. And I said, well, see, that's what the problem is. <laughs> You've been teaching your child that money is, is equal success. I didn't grow up thinking money equals success, so I was never... Uh, compulsive about, you know, I made money, so I should do this at the exclusion of everything else. We see this in a lot of the kids where they're thinking, well, of course I have to play. I can make money at it. Well, is that what your life's supposed to be, just chasing money? Well, there are lots of ways to chase money. You know, I guess you could go out and steal some, too. But there's more to life than making money. You know, we all want to make money, but the most enjoyable way to make money is doing it in something and is doing it in a well-rounded way where you also have other things in your life, and eventually you do it in, in something you're passionate about, whether it's being a doctor or, uh, you know, or, or some other trade, or maybe it will be poker. Well, you raise... But, you know, there, there's lots of other things to do than just play poker. You raise... By the way, wasn't this supposed to be a more light-handed broadcast? I'm sorry, I'm getting, getting all serious on you. <laughs> well, we have our religious hour later. Uh, but actually, you've yeah, raised right. some very, very interesting issues. And I, I'm curious to know what you were taught was the definition of success when you were growing up, Barry. I think you're from Chicago. Is that what you said? Yeah, well, very fundamentally, and your rabbi will be happy with this too. Uh, you know, one of the first axioms was make the the world a better place for you having been there. Well, that's right, Tikkun Olam. So, that's right. That's what I was taught. Yeah, so that was like one of the fundamental things. Um, you know, the other thing that you know I kind of uh, subscribed to as I was uh, going through high school and college, just a personal thing, was learning is good. Whatever you learn, you know, that's a good thing. I mean, it could be square dancing, uh, which, by the way, I never did learn. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it just you want to learn as much as you can. You want to absorb. And, and today, you know, if, if kids are going to be on the Internet playing poker, I mean, the Internet is such a great place to learn things. I mean, I would have just gone totally crazy when I was young where anything I want to learn about, I could go to, let's say, Wikipedia. Not always get the right information, but, you know, there's lots of good stuff there. But, you know, all over the Internet, you can learn so much. My head would have probably exploded. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it frustrates me with my own kids when they'll, like, come to me and ask me a question that they could get so much more. Uh, you know, I like to talk about it, but, you know, for my older kids before the Internet, uh, who are in their 30s, I was the source of wisdom. But now for my younger kids, I mean, they probably, you know, probably – should think I'm an idiot because they can get so much more looking on the internet that I don't know. Well, 
you raise another very big question. And if you were taught as a kid that the definition of success was making the world a better place, and then you were taught to learn stuff, why is it that you are playing poker today? How do you, I mean, do you think that by playing poker, you're making the world a better place? Are you learning stuff? And have you ever thought about, you know what, I'm going to be a teacher now. I think I'm going to give up poker and go be a teacher or go be a rabbi or go be a nurse or something. Well, I, I've gone through different stages. Uh, you know, I went through graduate school where I, you know, could have gotten a PhD at a young age, but I was playing maybe too much poker actually, because um, <laughs> I was traveling around doing doing different things. But I was enjoying my life and taking my time. The reason I didn't take a PhD at a young age, as a matter of fact, even though my uh, uh, advisor, you know, that's the, the professor that you, uh, uh, you know, asked for. Helper while you're doing my, my thesis. A shout out. Well, this is East Coast, so you won't know. He's uh, Professor Stolarski at University of Illinois. I was about 23. He said, You know, you really should write up the stuff you got and get your PhD. And I said, Well, uh, the problem is when I get out of graduate school, I'm probably going to be done with this stuff. And I really like math. That's what I was getting my PhD in. And I want to solve all the stuff I'm working on. He says, Well, it's no problem. You're going to be a math professor and, you know, You'll do a paper now that's your thesis, and then you'll do follow-ups for your first few papers when you're a professor. I said, yeah, you know, there's a, I'm making more than math professors do right now. You know, I was driving a Jaguar, which, you know, isn't much to the, the young breed of Internet player who, you know, maybe has a private plane, some of them. No, <laughs> but, but, you know, in those days, I was making a lot of money, and uh, what I thought was a lot of money. Uh, and I wasn't uh, that materialistic, so I didn't need that much. And uh, so I said, no, no, I want to take my time. Well, he was actually right. I should have kicked the thing out. Uh, what happened is life took over, uh, which I guess we learned in Jurassic Park when they thought they could just have this park and wouldn't, wouldn't affect everything. Well, for me, life took over because I got married. I, I met a woman who was also a professional poker player. I never planned on getting married. She had three kids. And I thought we had to make a decision of, uh, you know, getting married or not getting married. And uh, you know, when there, if I didn't have kids, you know, we lived together, whatever, I wouldn't have felt any rush. But because there were kids involved, we decided to get married. It seemed like the right choice. Well, once life took over, uh, and I had to be a daddy, it took a lot of my time. But also, there were, uh, it became a point where we had to get to, uh, actually, I'm going down the wrong path. But, but what, what happened with kids and with these things, there, there are financial responsibilities. And what always, again, what I learned in college, well, if I needed money at different things to buy a house, to do different things, cards was the way to get it. It was the quick way. So I ended up playing cards because I could make more money than other jobs. So, you know, that was how I went down that path. How did and, you get uh, started doing it then? When you, you mean, well, when did you when first was, get started as a pro? When, when, I, when I was 12 years old. So it's kind of hard for me to knock kids who were playing too young. What happened was I got invited when I was 12 years old. I think I was in eighth grade. And uh, got invited to a poker game, brought a few dollars and quarters, and uh, I think I can't say I'm getting old. I can't remember, but I won. I don't know more than ten dollars worth of quarters. Had a pocket full of quarters, and the next time I played, I think I won about thirty-six dollars. And I remember because I just had a. It was all in quarters, and uh, so it just happened on these weekend. Weekends when I played, I you know won much more often than I lost, and that's that's how it all got started. So it's just always these, this thing. Even in college, you know, sometimes I might need some money, or you know, I remember sometimes someone didn't have money for tuition. I said, well, I can just play poker. You know, I can make that money and you know help you out. 
and uh, you know made some money playing poker. And it just came to where I always had money, kind of uh, enough more money than I needed because I really didn't do much uh, that required money, and uh, just had it salted away and go out on the weekends, make some more, build it up. And I didn't. Even, it wasn't very emotional to me. But I think it would have been if I lost. You know, one of the things that. Uh, uh, you know, I'm known for in, you know, in the book that I wrote is talking about intermittent reinforcement. You know, what happens to people, uh, you know, we don't have, like the government, we're, we're having a fight about online gambling, wants to talk about people addicted to gambling. You know, everyone knows someone who's gambled too much and lost. Uh, but the truth is gambling can take all sorts of forms, whether it's investing in failing businesses, I mean, it's just part of capitalism. In capitalism, you gamble on different ventures in the stock market or businesses, and some people win, some people lose. And so also it can happen in poker. Uh, but the people who really get kind of tied in emotionally are the ones who go through this up-and-down uh, cycle where they win and now they feel good and then they lose it back and they want to feel bad and they want to get that money back and they keep going up and down. Uh, I had such a smooth ride at the beginning because uh, and part of it is because that axiom about learning is good. I took poker as really a, a, an academic venture, like a lot of the young players do now. You know, I studied what other people did. There wasn't the reading material and the resources that we have today, so I had to learn a lot of it by watching what some of the better players were doing. But I looked at the game mathematically. I looked at the game psychologically. And just on my own, for the most part, kind of uh, came to better solutions than a lot of other players. So it put me ahead of most players. And... Uh, but it was so smooth for me because the average skill level wasn't what it is today um, that I didn't have many losses. It was kind of like, uh, you know, my own personal ATM. I don't think ATMs existed when I was young, but that's what I would have called it now. And, uh, you know, so I didn't get that emotionally attached because it was just, okay, you need money, go out, win some, and, you know, then do other things. It sounds and, too good to be true, Barry. You've never had any major setbacks in poker, huh? Well, no. Now it's tougher, and now the games aren't there. I mean, a lot of the setbacks now are the economy's tough. So I'm just saying at a younger age, I didn't. And, and we actually, it may sound too good to be true, but we see that now in some of the, the young, successful players. Uh, poker, like sports, has its levels. If you ever ask someone, are you good at tennis, uh, that may mean that they're good because they can beat most people in their high school. Well, they wouldn't look good, obviously, against college opposition who wouldn't look good against, uh, uh, you know, people wanting to be pros and wouldn't look good against people who are professionals and so on. You know, there are different levels. So what we see even now, uh, some of the younger players in, pokers, in poker, sorry, they're good at their level, which usually in poker level also usually uh, corresponds to uh, or, sorry, correlates to how much people play for. So we see some of the younger players at smaller stakes doing real well and just winning almost every day. And so they're, they're, you know, they feel like they're world beaters. They can just win at their level. Well, eventually, um, they reach a level of their peers. And now there is a lot of uh, variance where some days you win and some days you lose. And so it, it, the game kind of changes once you meet the level of your peers. So it isn't it, what I did of winning consistently just means that I was you know, at a higher level than the people I was playing against. But now you're at the highest uh, level. And are you yeah, still yeah, winning consistently the, in the huge game that you well, play in? I, I, uh, no, not as, not the same. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, probably about fifty percent of the time. And so you might say, well, if you win fifty percent of the time, how can you make a living? Well, now different factors come in, and you, we see this in some of the younger players playing at levels where they win 
90 percent of the time they don't have to worry about these things but some of these things like what we first talked about controlling your emotions so when you're losing uh you don't lose a lot as a matter of fact some of the more popular cash game shows on tv for some some of the listeners it was high stakes poker was the most popular one and now we have a new one uh put out by poker stars called the big game it's on fox uh, where i am at two in the morning and it's a really popular show and one of the things that I just, it just occurred to me, I don't know if this is true, so, but it's close. Um, I, you know, I buy in for the minimum on these shows, and part of it is to show bankroll management. You know, I could buy in for more. Um, but I don't think I've ever gone busted for my first buy-in in any of the shows, any of the years that I've played. So not only, you know, have I won just about every year I've played it, or session I've played these things, no one's ever, like, as we say, stacked me off. Right. And, and this is the whole thing about control. The second year high-stakes poker, um, well, the first year I got aces beat by kings in like a $380,000 pot or $70,000 pot. And then I came back the next day. I didn't go broke on that hand because I was up. And then the next time I played, I made more. You know, I, I ended up winning more than I lost. <laughs> and then the season two was where I kind of started to think, almost like I was trying to teach people how you play. I lost most of my money. I bought in, I don't know, for I think only 100000 to buy in. I got down to 20000 and most people would have wanted to rebuy, especially sure. on television. They would have wanted to look what the kids call They would want to be a baller. They wouldn't want to sit there with just 20000 in chips, especially because if you only have 20, or it's cash, actually. If you only have 20000 you can't immediately get even. If you double up, you have forty. Right. But I thought that the lesson I could show, especially because I talk about this in my book, is what I do when I get behind, which is do everything I can not to have a big loss. Right. Because that's usually the pitfall of most losing poker players. When they lose, they lose a lot. Barry, I've got to do something I don't want to do. I would like to continue this discussion for another 20 minutes, and I'd love to have you back on. But my producer is saying we're right out of time. Um, well, that's not surprising with me. Well, <laughs> but we will have you back on. We're talking to Barry Greenstein, author of Ace on the River, and uh, as my rabbi said, a mensch. Uh, I hope listeners have been listening carefully because I think he's been giving guidelines not just for how to play your game, but also how to live your life. Barry, a great guest. I hope we can have you back on. Sounds good, Ashley. Okay, take care. That was Barry Greenstein, author of Ace on the River, and of course, one of the greatest players today. We will be back after a quick commercial break. Great Moments in History In July 1937, Amelia Earhart was informed by her navigator, Fred Noonan, that they were off course over the Pacific Ocean. You're wrong! You're just in here telling me that I'm not intended to... Can I hold the f***ing No. Can I hold the f***ing No. That is so not cool. In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. My husband, he's the greatest. Like when I told him that I wanted us to reaffirm our vows for our first anniversary. He went and threw me a big church wedding. Ever since then, every single anniversary, we've gotten married again. Chapel weddings, scuba weddings, Elvis weddings. Sometimes I don't know why he does it. Bachelor party so good, he'll want to get married over and over again. Delilah's. Oh, we do the whole thing with the bridesmaids and the reception. 
He even gets his little boy's night out. Delilah's bachelor parties, phenomenal food, scintillating cigars, and the world's most beautiful showgirls. Last time, he came back saying he could see my inner beauty and that I shouldn't just walk through life, I should dance. See, he's the greatest. Delilah's bachelor parties. Get all the details right now at Delilah's.com and give him the party he'll remember for the rest of his marriage. Delilah's, the biggest, the bravest, the best. You're listening to the House of Cards. Get me your five cards, stud. <laughs> Cocktail! <laughs> Welcome back, players. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And as promised, we are here with Chris Moneymaker. Chris, are you there? I am here. How are we doing, Ashley? Uh, I'm doing great, and uh, I'm very pleased that you could make the show because it's not very often that there are people that an entire generation of players are named after, the Moneymaker effect. And I'm wondering now, in retrospect, and maybe this is such an obvious question that nobody's ever asked it. Are you glad you won in 2003? Yeah, I'm very happy I won in 2003. <laughs> um, I had obviously no idea it was going to have the effect that it did have. Um, honestly, I thought, you know, I just won a poker tournament. I was going back to work. Uh, I won the tournament on a Saturday night. Um, we had a party Sunday, and I was back at work Monday. Uh, I didn't think life was going to change near as much as it has. How has it changed? I uh, don't work there anymore, uh, number one. <laughs> uh, I, I stayed on for about nine months, and then uh, I realized I could make a living playing poker after I got second at a WPT event. And uh, after that, my boss came in and basically said, if you don't quit, I'm going to fire you. You need to be doing out, going and doing other things. So uh, at that point is when I pursued my poker career, and uh, now I pretty much travel around the world playing uh, different tournaments. I don't play as much as most pros. Um, I try to stay at home with my family when I can, but I still uh, travel quite a bit and get to see a lot of great places. Well, tell us some of the more interesting experiences you've had since winning. I, I imagine there are experiences that are not just playing poker, but other things that you maybe never thought you'd experience by going all over the place. Anything stick out particularly? Just all the people I get to meet. I mean, you know, it's not very often that you know, you go to a tennis match, and Andy Blake and uh, or Andy Roddick and James Blake want to meet you and uh, you get to hang out with them. Or you go to uh, someone's house and play poker, and all of a sudden Leonardo DiCaprio or Ben Affleck shows up. I mean, and you know, they're more interested in talking to you. It's 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 really a surreal experience, and you know, just meeting all those different people and being in a lot of different situations you know where i've met so many athletes and celebrities it's a it's a really cool and it's a, it's a quite frankly a fun experience do, do you play any poker other than in tournaments do you play in uh like do you have a regular game at your hometown uh no i don't have a regular game in my hometown we used to a long time ago but uh just it got to be where a lot of people were going broke in the game and people couldn't keep up and so we started lowering the stakes and then got not fun for some people and 
by the time it was all said and done, it just wasn't worth keeping it up. And, it was, you know, it was more fun for him than anything else for a long time. Um, it got to where it was, you know, people were buying in for $10, and it was like, okay, well, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And this, that's been four years ago. Um, so periodically I'll go down to Tunica, which is about 45 minutes from me. Um, you know, I might go down there once every three months and play a local game, but for the most part I play on Poker Stars or I travel and I, I play wherever I travel to. Well, what's happened, I guess, and this has often intrigued me because for me, poker is not my primary way of earning money. And I imagine for you, you used to make some money at poker and then you got this incredible run and you won uh, your seat and you got to play in the 2003 main event. And then you found yourself as a professional poker player. Is that right? I mean, you were you did you consider yourself a pro before you actually sat down at the 2003 main event? Oh, not in a million no, years. Okay. No, I was by far a recreational player. Okay, so uh, you were a recreational player, and then you became a pro. And I'm wondering, did it change the amount of pleasure you got out of playing poker when it became your job? Um, yes, yes, and no. I mean, I consider myself. Um, I try not to think of myself. I'm a, I'm a professional poker player in a sense, but I also uh, most of my money is derived from endorsements. Um, so I do play poker, but I get to choose sort of when I play poker. Um, so if I am getting burnt out, I don't ha- I don't have to. Like I've got some friends that if they don't play, they don't eat. I mean, they've got to play money to make rent. They get. I mean, they're they're professional poker players. They get no other job, and they have to play every day, or you know, they get behind the eight ball, if you will. Where you know, I get the luxury of if I do get burnt out or if I don't feel like playing, I don't have to. Uh, I can take days off. I can take weeks off. Um, it's a really nice uh, perk that I have that, you know, where I do have outside income. Um, so I'm not just restricted to having to basically earn my money on the felt. I see. So in in some ways, <clears throat> it's not the same for you as a full-time professional because you have the luxury of dabbling. When you feel like going on tour, you can go on tour. If you feel like staying home with your family, you can do that. If you feel like taking uh, a month off, you can do that. Exactly. I, mean, I, don't have to, I don't have to do the grind. I mean, when you play poker every day, and that's what a lot of my friends have learned, I mean, when you first start out, it's a blast. But after you do it every day, all day, and that's your job, it, it can become a grind. I don't have to fall into that grind. And, I, you know, when I play poker, I'm, I'm playing because I want to play and I enjoy to play. I think it makes me play better. Um, you know, there are times I definitely play when I don't really feel like it, but that's just... And I got nothing else to do when I'm on the road or whatever. But uh, for the most part, if I'm playing, it's because I want to play, and I'm playing for fun for the most part. Do you ever get uh, young people coming up to you saying, "Oh, Chris Moneymaker, I want to be like you. I want to. I want to be a pro." For sure, for sure. What do you uh, tell them? Do you encourage them, or do you discourage them, or you try to steer them to do something else? I always, I always tell every kid that I meet, you know, you need to stay in school. You got to have a backup plan. Poker's fun. But it should be done with your friends, and it shouldn't be, you know, done on a professional level because of the swings and the, everything that goes into it. It's not as glamorous as it looks. It's a lot harder than what you would think. Um, you know, it, it's a really tough way to make a living, and a lot of people don't realize that. So I would definitely tell them to have a backup plan because once you decide you're going to be a poker player and you, you drop everything else, it's real difficult to go find something else to do. Yeah, that was my next question. Uh, if, for whatever reason, 
they let's say the crazy uh, legislature made poker illegal at every level. You couldn't play online. You couldn't play anywhere, and you could not play poker anymore, Chris. What would you do? You got your your money. You got your comfortable life. But what would you do for for work or for your pastime? Well, I was an accountant in my past life, and uh, I would probably try to get back to there. But I've been out of it for so long. Um, I would probably be delivering pizzas for a little while, so I found something. Um, <laughs> honestly, I don't know what I would start doing. Um, I might day trade. I, it, it's sort of hard hard to figure out what I would do. I'm sure I would probably live close to a casino and play live. <laughs> but that's such a hard thing to do. Um, yeah. Do you have any uh, uh, any favorite casinos? You've traveled a lot. You've played a lot of tournaments. Any place that if you were to pick one or two places just that you could play all day long if you wanted to, that you would choose? I don't think I would choose anywhere to play all day long, but if I had to, you know, obviously Vegas. If I, if I was going to be a full-time live professional poker player, I would live in Vegas just for the simple fact of the different casinos that you have to choose from. Um, I would like, When I go playing the World Series every year, I stay in a different casino every single year because I like a change of environment. I like a change of atmosphere. Um, every room is different. Every room offers different stakes or different players, uh, just a different feel. So there's not one casino that I would just go to every single day. I, I have to have variety in my life, and I think going to, you know, having different options is uh, is a great thing. Have you been to the casinos in Pennsylvania yet? Pennsylvania. I'm sure I have. I've, I know I've done some appearances up there. They got a poker room in uh, in Pittsburgh, the Rivers, and then they have them down by Philadelphia and south of Pittsburgh. They just started poker in July. Yeah, no, I don't think I've been there to, for those. Then I, I came up there and did a, a promotion a couple years back, but I haven't been up there to the casinos yet. I know you just got back from uh, the big event, the Deep Stack event at Foxwoods. How would Foxwoods compare to some of the places in Las Vegas that you've played? Oh, I mean, if you're in Foxwood, you feel like you're in Vegas. I mean, it's a Vegas-style casino. It's it's humongous, first of all. It's bigger than a lot of the Vegas casinos. Um, the only downfall to Foxwood is it takes you so long to get there. That That's really, I mean, if, if it didn't take an hour by car plus the plane ride to get there, I'd probably go to Foxwoods quite a bit. <laughs> um, it's, really a, it's a really nice place, and uh, I really enjoy going up there. It's just so hard to get there that, it's not one of my frequent trips. Right. Well, I'm uh, I'm eager to hear what, what your future holds. What are you planning to do over the next six months and year? Do you have any tournament plans? Do you have any travel plans? Oh, for sure. Well, you know, Poker Stars is having the WQ coming up, uh, which starts September 5th. So I plan on playing almost every event. I've got to go to Argentina and play in the Latin American Poker Tour Finals uh, September the 21st. So that's going to eat into... A little bit of the of the W Coop. Once I get done with the Latin America, I'll be playing the main event of the W Coop while I'm down there, and then I fly straight from Argentina to London to play in the uh, European Poker Tour. I'm going to play the main event. I'm going to play the High Roller event over there. Uh, I'll be back October 5th. And I'm going to go do an appearance for a buddy up in Toronto, um, and the North American Poker Tour is holding an event in November, so I'll be there, and then. I'll be in Australia in December, and then down the Bahamas in January, and then Tunica in January. Wow. Now, it's a lot of travel. Do you travel alone, or do you travel ever with your family? Uh, I 
have two young kids at home, so I travel alone except for the, like the Bahamas trip. Um, I, we also just signed up for a poker cruise in February. So both of those, I'm taking my family with me. Um, I'm, but I'm taking the in-laws. I'm taking I'm taking everybody. When we go, we go as a whole horde of people. <laughs> An entourage. Exactly. I mean, we bring you know 15 people when we come. So I, you know, that, that lets my wife have her parents to help with the kids while I'm playing poker all day in the tournaments. And then once I'm out of the tournaments, then you know we all get to go out and enjoy the the weather and stuff and uh, enjoy the islands or whatever, wherever we are. But for the most part, the Bahamas and those cruises are the only ones my family go on. I travel pretty much everywhere else. Sounds idyllic. Uh, i got a couple other questions. First of all, I'm wondering, you've been in a lot of different places all over the world. Is poker, in the when, once you sit down at the table, is it the same every single place in the world? Or could you say, well, you know, when I played in Australia, there are some things that are different there from here. I mean, are there... Differences in each place, or is it pretty much poker's poker? Oh no, no, it's completely different in a lot in a lot of different areas. I mean, I remember I was in um, England. Uh, I think it was England. Maybe it was uh, Holland. And when I bet, I cut my. Whenever I bet, I always cut my chips. And it's a string bet over there. So it it took me a long time to figure out. That whenever I slid my bed out, I had to slide it out as one. I couldn't cut my chips when they were out there. It was called a string bed, and I didn't, you know, that's completely different than what I'd ever heard of. Uh, you go down to Latin America, for example, you know, a standard opening raise in a U.S. tournament or European tournament is probably going to be like two and a half to three X, depending upon the blinds. Down there, a standard opening raise is five to six X. <laughs> so, I mean, just the, the betting patterns are different down there. Um, you know, up in Foxwoods, actually, it was really, really random that, you know, I've seen a lot of 5 and 6x raises, which you, you don't see very often. You know, just being a, that was a little bit of pocket that I saw where, I mean, there was a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked someone, what, what's the story there? And I said, well, in the one, the predominant game, the 1 2 game at Foxwoods, that's sort of what the average bring in is. That's what most people bring it in for because you have to run people out. And I guess they just brought that into the tournament atmosphere over there. That's right. In fact, I'd say in a lot of ca- I I play all over the United States. I'm not the international traveler you are, but I tend to go to the one two one three games everywhere in in the United States. And I find that in a one two game, it's unusual for the first raise to be for anything less than ten, and usually it's twelve. And in some places, it's fifteen or or even twenty. You know, it's one two, and then people will come out and it's twelve. They won't make it six or or eight. Um, and I guess that translates into some of the tournaments, especially in South America. Um, one one other question. I think when young players especially hear about Chris Moneymaker, they think, man, the guy has fallen in the honeypot. This must be the greatest thing on earth. But I suspect that there are some negatives to this experience, uh, some things that you don't love about being a huge celebrity and going all over the world. What would be some of the negatives, if there are any? Well, I mean, there are definitely a few negatives. Um, the travel, which is, you know, great, um, is also a downfall. I mean, you know, when you have a family, it's hard to be away from them. Like when I go to Argentina and London for two and a half weeks, I mean, I'm away from my family for two and a half weeks. I go play the World Series of Poker, I'm gone for two and a half weeks. Um, so that makes it really difficult. Um, you know, I'm out eating dinner with my wife. You know, people come up and ask for autographs and stuff. I mean, it's tough to do when I'm sitting there eating with my wife. Um, I mean, that's that's the biggest downfalls. 
Um, I guess in expectations, um, I don't really have a lot of, you know, expectations when I play, but it seems like whenever I bust out of a tournament, you know, people are like, wow, you should have done a lot better than that. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, the poker tournament, you know, things happen. Well, you know, what can you do? It just seems like everybody's expectations are elevated. That's right. They think you're supposed to win every time. One last question for you, Chris. And by the way, for those of you that just tuned in, we're uh, fortunate to be talking with 2003 main event winner Chris Moneymaker. Uh, really changed the world of poker. One last question. You said you have two young kids. They say to you, Daddy, we want to become professional poker players. What do you say to them? Well, you're going to have to put in a lot of study time. You know, you're going to have to work at it. It's not going to be something that you're just going to pick up and start playing. We're going to stay in school. We're going to get our grades. But if you want to learn, I'm going to teach you how to the right way. Well, I think that's a good note to end with. Uh, I hope we get a chance to meet Chris. I, I was not paying attention, or I would have gone down to Foxwoods to say hello to you. Who knows, maybe I'll uh, come by some other tournament appearance and introduce myself and get to meet you in person. Good luck with your career. You've changed the face of poker, and I think absolutely for the better. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate you having me on. Okay. Good Yep, that was Chris Moneymaker, and uh, we're going to take a break and be right back. Hey, you looking for poker tournaments or the latest promotions at Foxwoods, Mohegan Sun, and Twin River? Or want to find out what's happening in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, and other casinos around the country? Then check out New England Gaming News for all the latest news, events, and hot casino action from around the region. Visit the NEGN.com and sign up for exclusive specials and promotions. That's www.thenegn.com. The New England Gaming News, New England's only resource for complete casino and poker news. My husband, he's the greatest. Like when I told him that I wanted us to reaffirm our vows for our first anniversary, he went and threw me a big church wedding. Ever since then, every single anniversary, we've gotten married again. Chapel weddings, scuba weddings, Elvis weddings. Sometimes I don't know why he does it. Bachelor party so good, he'll want to get married over and over again. Delilah's. Oh, we do the whole thing with the bridesmaids and the reception. He even gets his little boy's night out. Delilah's bachelor parties. Phenomenal food, scintillating cigars, and the world's most beautiful showgirls. Last time, he came back saying he could see my inner beauty and that I shouldn't just walk through life. I should dance. See? He's the greatest. Delilah's Bachelor Parties. Get all the details right now at Delilah's.com and give him the party he'll remember for the rest of his marriage. Delilah's, the biggest, the bravest, the best. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something, that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask, we are always interested in... In your questions and comments about the show, about the guests, strategy questions, they could be practical questions about where and how to find the game, send your questions to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. We're very interested in them. And, of course, if they're particularly interesting, we'll put them on the air and answer them here in our segment of Mailbag, info at houseofcardradio.com and www.twitter.com slash hocradio. 
info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at houseofcardsradio.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. Since the players are looking to beat the casino, the dealers are watching the players. The boxmen are watching the dealers. The floormen are watching the boxmen. The pit bosses are watching the floormen. The shift bosses are watching the pit bosses. The casino manager is watching the shift bosses. And the eye in the sky is watching us all. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. This is the mailbag segment of the show, and I'm joined by my producer, Dave Weishattle. And I think uh, we got some questions. So yes, we do. Right we have uh, Pete from Sharon, Pennsylvania. He wants to know about calling clock. Well, first, before I even ask the question, what is calling clock for everyone who doesn't know out there? Well, I always have referred to it as calling the, the clock, but calling clock Giving clock, I, I don't know, but I, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, calling the clock is something that happens typically in no limit when a player is taking a long time to decide what to do, sometimes because he or she genuinely can't decide what to do, sometimes to deliberately make the opponent uh, get impatient to try to get a read. And then uh, somebody at the table, anybody who's been in the hand, is allowed to call the clock, and it has to be a player, if I understand it correctly. A dealer can't say... No, dealer cannot do it. It's got to be a player, and it's got to be a player who is in the hand. So I think that's interpreted to mean that if you were out at the bathroom and didn't get dealt in, you can't call the clock. But somebody, I believe that's correct. I may be mistaken, but uh, somebody who's in the hand can say, I'd like to call the clock. Then uh, the dealer gives the player 60 seconds, and then when it's uh, 60 seconds are up, they are given 10 seconds that are counted down, and when that time is over, if the player has not yet acted, the dealer declares that the hand is dead. Okay, the question we have is, how long is a reasonable time to wait for a player to call clock? That's a matter of discretion. Uh, it, as far as what's reasonable for a player, it totally depends on the situation. For example, if there's a player who has regularly been delaying action, even action like uh, it's no bet, deciding whether to bet or not, whether to check. Um, maybe you only wait two minutes, and then you say, I'd like to call the clock on this guy who's been slow every time. On the other hand, if and if there's you know no money involved or not a lot of money. On the other hand, if somebody is shoved all in and it's somebody's tournament life that he's deciding whether to call or not, you know, maybe even... Eight minutes, nine minutes, ten minutes. I mean, if it's a huge decision, everybody knows it. And uh, Genuinely, it's got to be something significant before it's considered anything but really rude to call the clock. And uh, I have never been in a game. <laughs> that was my next question. Never, not once ever been in a game or a tournament, either a cash game or a tournament, where somebody called the clock on a player. I've 
Have you seen it? I mean, no. watching a table, you've never seen it. I've seen it on the movies. I've oh, seen it on TV. Okay. Um, I mean, I've seen real live uh, depictions of it when it really happened in a tournament, and there were a couple of controversial instances where a woman did it, and people kind of thought she was being particularly aggressive, and somebody said, well, was that sexism? If she had been a guy and had called the clock, and she wasn't being laid. But I've never actually seen it occur. It's not so it, And common. it's dealer's discretion. The... the uh, Player says to a dealer, I'd like to call clock, and then the dealer, is is that, the next step is call the floor manager over? No, no. So, they just would call the clock, and uh, okay, and then if somebody objected, they felt it was premature, or somebody's been calling the clock on them a lot, I suppose they could call the floor. Okay. But this, the standard is that they call for the clock, and the dealer says, well, if somebody's called for the clock, I think there's been uh, sufficient time, so I'm going to use my discretion and start counting down. 60, you understand, 60 seconds, and then they count it down. And they I, get another I, I would really think someone would look like a jerk if they called the clock on, unless they're waiting five, ten yeah, minutes. Right, I mean, that's right. just not done. Yep. Next question is from Jersey. Okay. And uh, they want to know, with all the books and training sites online, is it even worth hiring a poker coach nowadays? Well, I'm biased. Well, you're a poker coach. I, I do coaching. Um, I think absolutely it's justified. It's just, I mean, my God, you have uh, all sorts of places where you can listen to and watch videos on how to learn a foreign language or learn how to play clarinet or uh, play baseball, but it still is incredibly helpful for many people to have an individual coach who can uh, work you through particular problems that you may think you have may help you with um, not being able to understand a concept, may help you focus on those things that uh, you need to work on by watching your play. I think there's no question. I also think, though, that from everybody I've spoken to, and I have not yet heard an exception, the one single thing that a person can do to help their game the most is to have a discussion group of knowledgeable players, essentially many people coaching each other, on the game. That is the one thing, more than books, more than videos, more than even an individual coach, if you want to raise your game to the next level, having a regular group of people to discuss hands with, to think through hands, to hear other people's thoughts on it, um, is the best way. I mean, how do you set up your coaching sessions? That's a good question. I I would think, you know, one-on-one would be great. Uh, You can talk about their problems, but in an actual game situation, wouldn't that be there are, better? There are a number of ways. Um, I'll tell you what I do, and then I'll tell you what other people do. What I do is almost exclusively, not exclusively, but 90% of the coaching I do is done via email, where a I give somebody unlimited questions in a month, or I do it by the hour, but about 80% of my students have taken advantage of $250 for a month of uh, unlimited questions. They pose hand situations. I was here, I was uh, in the five seat, and this happened, and that happened, and I had uh, 10-9 suited, and somebody raised in front of me. I read him to be a relatively loose player, and I called. What do you think? I thought about raising, I thought about folding, but I called, and this is where stack sizes, etc. And then I'll respond, and I'll say, well, these are the things to consider, blah, 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 and um, if the guy is aggressive... Um, if there was anybody after you that might have re-raised, um, was it, how deep was his stack? And I'll go through my analysis of the hand, and I'll send it back. And then maybe they'll have a follow-up question, and they'll say, yes, but uh, I did think that he had uh, the ability to come out firing a second time, and I wanted to trap him, so I just called. And Do you think that made sense? And like that. That's how I coach. I coach in response to specific hand situations and questions about hands. 
And that's how a couple of Chiafani, Bob Chiafani, uh, does that as well. Other people actually watch you play. We had a guy on the show, one of our guests, and he actually will go to the casino. He'll give like an hour tutorial, and then he'll sit behind a player and make notes. And then at the end of three hours of play, he'll take them aside for an hour and say, well, this is what I saw you do, and you raised here, and I thought you should have folded, blah, 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 blah. Other people uh, do you know, lessons, uh, classes, which I've done as well, where they have a number of students, and they, they do a, a tutorial um, like a boot camp type thing. Um, some people also watch you play online, which I've never done, uh, where they, you know, even contemporaneous coaching, uh-huh. like, which I think is borderline unethical, <laughs> where they, they're watching you play and they say, I think you should raise here. Because it's online, they can then raise. Oh, yeah, okay. Right? Yes, I mean, yeah. they could be like sitting behind them in a <laughs> cash game looking at their cards and whispering in their ear, but online you can do it on the phone. Um, so those are all methods of coaching. I, how deeply do you get into it? Cause let me tell you something. I made the biggest mistake two weeks ago. I'm reading lots and lots of poker books, and I got the Mensa Guide to Casino Gaming. Uh-huh. It, it looked like they had equations from NASA in there. I mean, you don't get to <laughs> E equals MC squared and go for the flop. <laughs> Blow like up that. your head. Is that I what know, you're yeah, saying? Pretty much it, yeah. So what was your question? I mean, that? how deeply do you get into it? Do you, do you have to tell them, well, in this situation, the statistics are that a face card's coming up kind of thing. I'll tell you, when I do my coaching, I let the student um, set the lead. So if he asks me a general question, when do you raise with a pair of nines uh, in no limit? Uh, I might respond uh, generally. On the other hand, I had a student recently who, you know, would cite very specific stuff, and he'd ask me, how does so-and-so match up against such-and-such? And And then I'd give him some statistics to use. Um, So, And then if I give a general answer and the student wants more information, I'll respond to the follow-up by giving more information. So I let him set the lead. Uh, Some some players want me to give them a tutorial first on how to, you know, about pot odds, and I'll teach them in that way. So that's generally what I do. And so all of you out there that are interested in becoming (laughs) students of mine, info at houseofcardsradio.com. That's all the time we have. Folks, thanks for listening. Come back next week, and a good night and good luck. podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com